So today we're actually beginning a new series. It's been a, been a month or so since we were in a series, and we're going to start one today, and it's called Reroute My Thinking. Now some of you are familiar with that term because it's the first step in Relate. Relate isn't just the name of our church, it's a process. Reroute My Thinking is the first step. It's all about growing in our relationship with God and growing in our relationships with each other. But the only way to do that is to learn how to do relationships better. Is there anybody here that would say, yes, John, I am a relationship expert? Raise your hand. Not one of us? Okay. All right. So I'm not either. And that's part of the reason we're doing this series, okay? And it's the reason why the church is named what it is, because I sought out to find out how can I be better at my relationships. And it starts in my relationship with God. So today we're going we're gonna to begin with just an introduction and understanding that there is nothing more important for you and me to get done on this earth than relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. It's the highest priority. He said, well, John, I've got my job. I've got bills to pay. I've got my card. I, I really just enjoy my car. I, I love do, tinkering with it and having fun with it. Whatever hobby that you might have. I love going to play golf. Whatever your hobby might be, that's fine. But what about your relationships? And if you were to invest your life in something that absolutely matters, this is it. Learning how to better my relationships with God and with the people around me. You see, not just relationships is what we're going to talk about today, but we're going to talk a little bit more about this. Long-term relationships. Having long-term relationships. Your thinking, the way you process life, what you believe, what you interpret, how you interpret life, what you interpret people to say to you and about you, uh, what you think about others and what you think others think about you, all of that determines whether or not we're capable of having long-term relationships in our lives. But before we go into all of that, let's establish this, that God placed the highest priority in our lives, the greatest value in our lives on this, relationships. Relationship with Him and relationships with each other. Now, this principle is great for those of you who are parenting, especially if you've got little ones. Grab on to this, especially while they're young, because this is so important. If you discipline your kids, if you train up your kids, understanding that the highest value, the highest priority in life is relationships, it changes the whole reason you discipline them. It changes the whole reason you tell them to do something or not to do something. It gives you something to communicate to them. You ever, do you remember growing up and your parents said, don't do something? And, and you said, why? And they said, because I said so, right? That was the best reason they had. This is where you can go, all right, I'm not going to let you do that because this, this is how it hurts a relationship. This is how it, it, it messes things up in a relationship. You see, teaching them... How, doing, how to do things, uh, how not to do things, or, or teaching them to not do things and teaching them to do them because of this reason is so important. And this is what God did for us. We've got the Big Ten, right? Y'all know the Big Ten? Did you know that beyond the Big Ten are the hundreds? 
that the Israelites had to learn and follow so that they could be a healthy community. But let's just take the Big Ten right now. How do these Big Ten commandments actually affect our relationships? Well, let's look at it. He, God said this, all right, number one, you will not have any other gods before me. Number two, he says, I don't want you to make up any idols. Do not worship any idols. So God takes a moment after he says these two in verse five of Exodus chapter 20, he says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. He says, don't have any other gods before me and don't make any idols. You shall not have any other gods before me. Don't bow down and worship them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Listen to the relationship communication there. I don't like when you do that. It bothers me, he says. It hurts our relationship. I'm a jealous God. Doesn't that make God seem just a little bit petty? Come on, let's be real here. Isn't he so big that it doesn't matter if we worship him or not? That he's so big that, that it doesn't matter if we care about him or not? No, he says just flat out, I don't like it. I'm jealous. I want your worship because I am all that. I am the only God. And when you worship something else, I'm like, wait a second. I'm awesome. Why would they choose a stick or a some kind of metal instead of me. I don't understand that. So God is communicating relationship here, isn't he? Uh, number three, you will not take the name of the eternal God in vain. All right, so what does that mean? It means don't say, oh my God. Really? No. I mean, yeah, we don't need to go around doing that, right? But it's way more than that. It's relationship. How is this a relationship issue? One is because it's about fulfilling an oath. It's about fulfilling an oath. Leviticus chapter 19 gives us a little bit of insight here. It says, Do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of, the, of, of your God. I am the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, when you use my name, you need to take it very seriously. For instance, if you put a little fish on your business cards... Or a cross on your business cards. What are you doing? You're invoking God's name to get business, right? And what does that mean? It means you better do business right because you've used the name of God in your business. Right? You better finish the job. And you better do it right. And what does that mean also? Every church in the world that bears the name of Christ, is in danger of this. And that's why it's so important that we do things God's way, right? It's so important that we follow His instructions. This is His church. It's not about popular opinion. It's not about what's going on in our world and our social stuff. God says, I want you to do it my way. This is my church. You got my name on it. You're going to do it my way. Doesn't matter what the church people think. God says, I want you to do it my way. It's my church. It's got my name on it. Don't take my name in vain. Does that make sense? It's also this. It's about being faithful to him. Uh, it's, it's, 
you know, when a woman marries a man, what happens? She takes his name on and she needs to go out into public and she needs to communicate in public, hey, I belong. This is my husband. He's, he's back home, but don't mess with me because I'm, I'm married. What is she going to do? She's going to be faithful to him because she's married to him, right? And so in the same way, we become the body of Christ, which is the bride of Christ, and we become married to him. We take on his name. And so when we go out into public and we communicate to everybody, hey, I belong to Jesus, right? We're going to be faithful to him. And you say, well, John, okay, that's all fine and good. That means that I just don't need to bear his name. I don't need to tell anybody that I'm a Christian, that I'm not in danger of that. Whoa, wait a second. What did Jesus say? If you're not willing to be with me and tell people that you're with me, that's a problem too. Can't have it both ways, can we? Let me ask you a question. Do you belong to him? Have you taken his name on as yours? And you're a Christian, right? And so we don't bear his name unfaithfully. Uh, the, the Sabbath day. See how you see the relationship stuff there? It's awesome, isn't it? He says the Sabbath day. How can the Sabbath day be about relationship? He says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. What is, how does that connect with relationship? Obedience, it's his day. Prioritizing him, we like to spend time with him. It's relationship, right? Relationship. So the first four of the Big Ten have to do with how we treat God, our relationship with him. All right? The second portion of this, the latter six, is dealing with our relationships with each other. What does he say? Honor your father and your mother. And that one comes with a promise. You'll have a good long life. Isn't that great? Honor your father and mother. Treat your parents right. right? That's about relationship, isn't it? You will not kill. That's about relationship. People don't like it when you kill them. You know that? And they don't like it when you kill somebody that they know. So it's a relationship issue. All right. Uh, you will not you shall not commit adultery. That's a relationship issue. People don't like when you do that because it it damages relationships all across the board. Uh, you will not steal. People don't like when you take their their stuff. Right. And they don't want to feel like you might take their stuff at any given moment. Right. It's a relationship thing. Uh, you shall not speak falsely against your neighbor. Don't talk bad about a neighbor. Don't make up stuff and don't gossip about your neighbor. Why? Because it's relationship problems. You see, it's just all about relationships. You will not covet. Why? Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet what they... Why? Because when you look and you want something that you don't have, it causes pain inside of you and it builds walls between the people that you want what they've got. And, and then they don't trust you because you're, you're, you're wanting what they've got. You're, they're like, man, I don't... Just get out of my way, right? It's uncomfortable, right? What's he talking about? Relationship. Be content with what you've got. So all of this, and so then we come to Matthew chapter 5, and this is Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking here, and he reaffirms these Ten Commandments and the other commandments. And he says this, if you reject even the least important command in the law and, teachers other, and teach others to do the same, you will be the least important person in the kingdom of heaven. Now, 
Jesus is saying it's important for you to not want to be the least important person in the kingdom of heaven. Well, I don't really need to be important in the kingdom of heaven. But for some reason, Jesus is saying you probably should want to do that. And if you want to do that, if you don't want to be the least important person in the kingdom of heaven, don't teach people that to make mints out of, of, of the law. Just trust that it is something that is good that's there. He says, but if you obey and teach others its commands, you will have an important place in the kingdom. You must obey God's commands better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law obey them. Whoa, wait a second. You must obey these commands better than the pastors and preachers and what? What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about what he's going to get to in the rest of this chapter. He says, if you don't, I promise you that you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. What's he talking about? He's talking about if you don't learn how to have relationships and treat God right and treat him and treat his people right and treat all people right, you're going to be missing something big. So the Ten Commandments are all about having good relationships and friends. And Jesus reaffirms it here. He says, if you don't do this, it's a problem in your life. And all throughout this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is presenting all kinds of relationship issues. If you look through it, we read it through it, the whole thing a couple of weeks ago. He talks about anger. He talks about marriage. He talks about divorce. He talks about making promises. He talks about getting revenge, love, giving, self-sacrifice. He talks about all these relationship topics all throughout this sermon. And Jesus continually taught about relationships. Having good relationship. You remember the stories that he talked about having a good relationship with the master? Doing what the master wants while the master is gone? That's relationship, right? He talked about how you think about the master is important. How you think about God is important. Look at the story of the prodigal son. You all remember the story of the prodigal son? That's a relationship story. You've got this son that takes his inheritance and he goes off and he squanders it in lavish living, crazy living, finds himself in a pigsty and he sits up one day and he's like, man, even if I went home and became my father's servants, it would be better than this. So I think I'll get up. What's he talking about? My father won't restore the relationship to where I'd like it to be, but it would be better than what I've got now. At least he'd make me a servant. So he gets up, and while he's a long way off, what does the father do? The father sees him. The father runs to him, wraps his arms around him, and says, Welcome home, my son. And what does he do? He orders them to get the fattened calf, and let's celebrate. And Jesus is talking all about a relationship that is being restored. And he's saying, this is what it's like with God, right? But then you've got, he takes it another step. He goes into the brother of this son, right? The brother that stayed home and did not go off and squander the money. What does he do? He's angry. He's frustrated. Why would my father do this? All right. So Jesus is talking all about relationships when he's communicating what he's teaching. It's huge. Our whole culture is steadily moving in a self-destructive direction. And it has to do with this. We're losing the ability to relate. Marriages are in more trouble today. Listen, the church, we've, we've tried. 50 years or 60 years of focus on the family. Y'all remember focus on the family? I remember that when I was growing up. We started watching videos of how to have a better marriage in church, how to treat our... 
divorce rate in the church is the same as it has always been. It's a problem. It's getting worse, isn't it? Our whole culture. And we've got to, as a church, begin to focus on what Jesus actually came to do. He came to give us the ability to have better relationships with Him and with each other. So which statement do you agree with most? Our culture is great at long-term relationships. <laughs> Don't agree with that? How about this one? Our culture is okay at long-term relationships. No? Our culture is awful at long-term relationships. Okay. I think we agree on the third one. You know, the first sign of tension or stress, we run. We run. You know, and I got to be honest with you, as a pastor, it's very frustrating for me because the first first time that I disappoint somebody because they didn't get what they wanted or I do something different than they wanted, they just run. It's frustrating. We can't work through problems anymore. We can't work through differences anymore. Am I talking to anybody? Marriages, first time. Get disappointed. Did you know the biggest struggle in marriage right now, or the greatest reasons for people getting divorced right now are because they can't figure out who's going to clean the kitchen? They didn't talk about it before they got married. And suddenly they realize, oh, I have to do the dishes? And they can't settle on it. It's frustrating. I don't know about you, but I want to be better than that. I want to be better than that. Let me ask you a question. And I want you to think about this. How many long-term friends do you have? You say, well, define long-term. I don't know, 10 years? Somebody that you know that you talk with on a fairly regular basis at least and have some intimate discussion. How many do you have? Yeah. Maybe one, maybe, maybe two. Yeah. And that's good though, even if you just got one. That's good. At least you've got one, right? Most people don't even have that. As a whole, not having long-term relationships in our lives is bringing destruction on us. And it's bringing major problems. People are moving to new areas every other year and never having people in their lives long-term. They just move, go to a different job. Well, it's my job. I understand that. But it leaves us without... A lot. Moving around means we never have to make commitments and means we never have to make a long-term investment in other people's lives. And we never have to love someone once we find out the real them. All of us have the real us, right? 
And as soon as we find out the real them, then we've got to make a, a decision. Well, am I going to accept them in spite of? And when we just move around, we bounce around, or we go from church to church, or we go from job to job, or we go from neighborhood to neighborhood, we never have to really accept the real them. Or wife to wife, or husband to husband, we never have to, we just ditch them, right? So this issue drives us to wrong decisions and morally wrong directions and relationship destruction. And we never end up having somebody long-term in our lives. So to lay some groundwork as we get into this series, let's admit something from the very beginning. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to you and me, we're different. Are we agreed on that? You are different than me. We're all different than each other. And in so many ways, that's what makes a relationship great. And in other ways, that's what makes a relationship absolutely horrible, right? It's differences that make a relationship both possible, but also, both di- but also difficult at the same time. So the very thing that makes a relationship wonderful can also make it difficult and even heartbreaking at times. Jesus said this, a new command I give to you. All right, so we've talked about all those commands that we, we, we read off earlier. He says, a new command I give to you. Anybody know what it is? That you love one another as I have loved you. Why would he say that? Here's why. Because he knows you can You ever start a new job and they start teaching you the job and you're like, oh no, what am I going to do here? There's no way I can do this job. Your boss has looked at your qualifications, looked at your physical abilities, your mental abilities and says you can do this job. Give it some time, you're doing the job, right? This is what God does. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Why? Because I've looked at your life. I know how I made you. I know how I shaped you. I know how I formed you. And you can. That's why. You can. Contrast how we function with what Paul wrote how we function in a bad way in our lives. He said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. So not only does he say you need to love one another as Christ has loved us, but now we also need to understand we, we need to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. You ever ran across a situation where you begged for someone to, to reestablish a relationship with you and you did the work to try to make it right and they just wouldn't? We can't be that way. We can't. Why? Because that's what God did for us. He gave us the relationship back. You know, I know a lot of people who think, well, John, I don't have good relationships because, well, I'm not lovable enough. I'm not pretty enough, or I'm not handsome enough, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm too young, or I'm too old. There's no way. 
I remember sometime back there was a lady who quit coming because she was embarrassed that she wasn't, she just didn't see it anymore how to dress as nice as she wanted to dress. She just didn't see it. She didn't go to the store to buy the clothes and all of that. And, and, and so she just quit coming. And do you know what? Not one person in the church ever said, you don't dress enough, nice enough to be here. Not one person ever thought that. I guarantee it. They would try to reach out, try to communicate with her. Nope. She was done. And nobody ever said, well, I'm, whew, I'm sure glad she's not here anymore. She was making us look bad. Did you see what she would wear when she came to church? Not one person ever thought that about her. In fact, it was just the opposite. People were hurt that she left, that she wouldn't show up anymore. It was all in her head. See, the truth is, when you learn from Jesus how to reroute your thinking and to begin to see life from a different perspective, nobody here has noticed the hair problem you have today. Reroute your thinking. Everybody here is just thinking about themselves and, what, how, and their hair problems. or They forgot to trim their nose hair. Whatever it is that they're thinking about, it's not about you. Everybody here is trying to just survive. And man, I don't think they're, they're going to see this spot on my shirt. And so you walk around like this. Hey, how are you today? Nobody's thinking about it. Nobody's noticing it. But you know what people will notice? If you choose to love them. If you walk up and say hi. Love. Jesus placed the highest value on relationships. It's all about value, he says. What do we value? Well, it's fun to value cars. I, I love cars. You guys know me. I enjoy them. All right? We went and saw the old Batmobile the other day. I'll have to show you some pictures, find a way to... Thanks, Damon. We saw the Munsters car. Remember that? Oh, it was fun. I love it. It's fun. But that's not the highest value. More than that, I just had fun hanging out with the kids and Damon. Relationships. We value money. We value time. We value freedom. What Jesus was trying to get us to was, are you willing to lay all of that aside to have a long-term friend? At least one. And it starts with him. Jesus didn't just say, here's what to value. He showed us how. He said this, listen, people of Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. He's like, I'm, I'm it. Remember, worship me only. <laughs> Anything else is insanity. I'm the only God. I've searched the universe and beyond. In fact, I created it. I'm the only God. If you're not worshiping me and you're worshiping somebody else, that's insanity. I don't like it and I get jealous. He says, I am the Lord your God. I'm the only one. Love me, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And another 
Another version of this says all your strength. That's the first, the greatest commandment. That's all about relationships, isn't it? Our relationship with God. And then he says this. That's number one. He says, he didn't stop there. He says this. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commands more important than these. Get this done. Learn how to have relationships with me and with other people. Again and again in the Bible, he says, my command is that you love one another as I have loved you. Isn't, it, it, it's just so easy for us to get caught up in getting things done in life, going to work, going to school, whatever it is that you've got going, filling your life up, and forget the people in our lives that we're doing all of these things for. God says, no, the priority is relationship. If that's all you get done, that's it. That's awesome. So what does valuing relationships most mean? Jesus put it this way, love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. How do you do that? How do you love Him with all your heart? What is your heart? Your heart is where you feel. You know, I don't know about you, but when I come in here on Sunday mornings, it's wonderful to feel love towards God. When we start singing songs and we start worshiping, right? What are we doing? We're trying to let you feel your relationship with God. When you turn on the radio as you're driving down the road and you start hearing worship songs and things, all of a sudden tears will fill your eyes. Be careful. Watch and pray, right? But you'll, you'll start feeling it. That's a feeling that you have towards God. That's love from your heart towards God. And that's so important to cultivate as you grow in your relationship with God. Love Him with all your mind. What does that mean? It means to love Him with how you think. And this is what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. Love Him by rerouting your thinking. Love Him by thinking good things about Him. Thinking good thoughts, good impressions, and, in, and your intelligence growing in your relationship with Him by knowing what He said, knowing what He likes, and knowing what He doesn't like. Love Him with what you think. Also, love Him with your soul. He says, your soul is what? Where you decide things. And we're going to talk about this as well. You've got your soul inside of you, but there's a part of your brain that, that needs to connect with your soul because your soul, being alive in Christ, is now the real you, and you'll begin to make decisions for this body and how you live your life because of your soul. And your soul is where God wants you to become decision. You, he wants that part of your life to become the decision-making part of your life, as opposed to your brain. Your brain's just thinking about, well, I just want Cheerios, or I want chocolate, or I want this, or I want that. Your brain just wants stuff, right? He says, I want you to begin to make decisions from down deep within the body that Christ brought to, to life inside of you. It's a whole different deal. And then he wants us to make, to love him with all of our strength. And what is that? Our strength is what we do. It's our actions, right? It's how we act. It's what we do. It's where we go and how we live our lives. Love him with how you act. So where you feel, where you think, where you decide, and how you act. Emotions, thoughts, desires, and actions. Love Him. Love Him. If you want to change your values, if you want to change your life, you start there. Those four things. Start there. My emotions, I'm going to set my affection on God. I want to put my thoughts on God, and I want to change my desires, and I want to change how I act. That's how we change our lives. How do you do this with God? Well, you've got to realize that all of your relationships with people hinge on this one issue. How you love God. It starts with God. This is the core 
This is the beginning. This is really the center of the entire thing. Jesus said, this is the first commandment. All right, so what does that mean? Because I love God, it means I'm going to love the people around me. Jesus, or, uh, John, uh, the beloved, he wrote this. He said, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. What is he saying? He's saying if you love God, you will be able to love the people around you. You'll be able to love your brothers and sisters around you. And that's where Jesus started. You see, my relationship with God hinges on this one issue. How do I love people? Am I loving the people around me? If I've never had a long-term healthy relationship with a person, that means I'm probably going to struggle in my relationship with God. So if you don't have any long-term relationships, you're in the right place today. You need a long-term relationship with God and you need a long-term relationship with at least one other person. At the least. And this is why the church has always honored marriage so much because, man, it's, a, it's that, that, that relationship that you live with somebody. My parents are approaching like 60 years being married. God help them, right? And he's home today helping her out. She's got a tooth problem and pray for her. You know, it's one thing after another as you get older, right? I, I joke about it. My parents, you know, kids, they go to school, come home and play. Go to school, come home and play. My parents go to the doctor, come home and play. Go to the doctor, <laughs> come home and play. They've got toys, they've got... But you know, keeping that relationship healthy and vibrant for so many years... It's so honorable. But it also means that they're capable of having that kind of relationship with God. So James David, would you come as we close today? Remember, we're going to have communion in just a minute. Jesus gave us a formula for great relationships. And it's very simple. Very simple. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Think about people around you as much as you think about you. a lot. Stop thinking about your needs. Stop thinking about your fear. You know, some of you walked in this house this morning. You were afraid of something that's going to happen this week. Afraid of a relationship failure. Afraid of a bill. Whatever it is, you're afraid. Stop thinking about it. And look around you. Every person here has their own thing to think about. Start loving the people around you. C.S. Lewis wrote this. You see, love is, is a risk, right? Last time I loved somebody, John, it hurt. You know, boy, I understand that. I thought Angela and I would be gumming apples together at 80 years old, you know? Well, I definitely thought she'd make it to 80 easy to get disappointed and say, you know what, I'm not going to love again. I'm not going to go there again. My best friend betrayed me, whatever. I get it. I've been there and it hurts. 
Here's what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. It's a risk. It's a risk for you to love the people around you. It's a risk for you to put your heart into your church family. Come on, I've been doing this for almost 30 years as a pastor. It's a risk. You're sitting next to somebody that just up and leave for no reason. It's a risk. But let me ask you, better to have loved and lost than to not be able to love? It's always better to love. Now consider this. What Jesus did on the cross had nothing to do with religion. It was because God loves us. He loves you. I don't know how I can make that more impactful. It was not about religion. It was not about priestly robes, lighting candles. It was about God loves people. He loves you. That's why Jesus hung on the cross. I wish I could put it in better words. It was not so he could build buildings. It was not so he could have some grandeur display on human earth. Jesus hung on the cross because he loves you. And he says, I want a relationship with you. And it's so awesome when you start looking at it from that perspective. Jesus did it all the time. He was hanging out with people 
And they chose not to like him. And he would give them stuff. You don't want to like me? All right, here, take this. That'll give you a reason not to like me. He did stuff all the time that if people wanted to walk away from him, he just gave it to him. All right, here you go. Here's a reason not to like me. Why? Because Jesus was in it for love. He was in it for love. He was in it for relationship with people. So where do you begin? First, you got to let go of those who will let go of you. If you've had someone walk out of your life, let them go. Don't try to talk them into it. Don't try to talk them into staying with you. Right? It's okay. I will do far worse, all right? <laughs> Don't try to talk them into it. Let them go, right? Take a risk with those who will take a risk with you. If you've got people in your life that are willing to walk down the road with you and do something purposeful with you in this life, you take a risk with those people. Walk with them. You know, it's so awesome that Peter was one who denied Christ three times in Jesus' greatest moment of sadness and sorrow and pain, right? Peter denied him three times, and we find them later reconciling that relationship. Peter wanted to be reconciled with him, and he recognized what he did. And you know what's interesting also? Peter was just a fisherman, and who was the first one to preach a sermon after Jesus raised from the dead? Acts chapter 2. You look it up. The power of the Holy Spirit came down and fell on everybody. And the whole community thought, man, these people are drunk. What's wrong with these people? This is crazy. And Peter looks around. He's like, is anybody going to say anything? The guy that just days before, 50 days before, had denied Christ, knowing him three times, steps up and starts communicating and starts relationship with the people and starts telling them, this is what was said back in the old days by the prophet Joel. And now it's happening. God has opened the doors and pathway for you and me to have a relationship with him. And this is a wonderful thing. And Thousands of people came to Christ that day. For relationship, for love from God. It's awesome. Maybe you're here today and that's what you want. Would you bow your heads? Right where you are, just say, God, I want that relationship. I want the love that you're, you're wanting to give to me. And I want to love you. So I ask you for it in Jesus' name. Would you come into my life? Make my soul alive. Maybe a long time ago you turned away from him. <laughs> like the prodigal son. You're coming home. And the father is going to wrap his arms around you and say, Welcome home, my child. We're going to celebrate today. God, thank you for the life that you've given us, the love that you want to give us. We, we embrace it now. And we choose to be those kind of people that love you. God, we also understand that you said that if we love you, that you, we would also begin to love the people around us. And at one point, you actually said that it starts right here in the house of God, that the world would know that we love and that you love us because of our love for one another. 
So, God, we take that responsibility. We thank you for relationship. In Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you.